I welcome the opportunity to once again learn with you uh, the elements of the of the Seder, specifically the Haggadah. We're in uh, very unusual and difficult times for all of us. Everything is different. There are many people who unfortunately, most of us probably won't have the usual Seder where we have family and friends around us. That's impossible under these conditions. And we're certainly hoping that as soon as possible, things will revert to a much healthier situation, back to normal. I'm not sure we'll ever revert to exactly the way things were, but we certainly hope for the best. And it's appropriate at the Seder where we are recalling redemption and we are aspiring to future redemption as well. Nothing could be more appropriate, I think, at this time than to look briefly at the some of the elements of the of the Seder. Now, the instructions for the Seder are given to us by the Mishnah. The last chapter of Psachim, the Mishnah tells us what to do on the night of Pesach, uh, what the core ingredients of the Seder are, and it even chooses a text for us that we are to, says the Mishnah, to recite and to be doresh, to expound, to engage in the kinds of midrash uh, about that particular text. And the text is the taken from the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 26. It's the recitation that the pilgrim who brings the first fruits to the temple makes. It begins with the words in our Haggadah, Arami Ovei Davi, which means literally, most plausibly, my ancestor, my father, was a wandering Aramean. And at the Seder, we recite not the entire recitation, but we recite the first four verses of this recitation, Arami Ovei Davi. It is, to put it uh, mildly, a very peculiar choice for Passover night. Arami Ovei Davi is first of all taken from the book of Deuteronomy, Sefer Tzvarim. On the night of the Exodus, one would have expected that the core text is from the book of Exodus, Sefer Shmot. But even more so, Arami Ovei Davi is the recitation made by the pilgrim who brings the first fruits to the temple. And the first fruits festival of the Torah, Yom Bikurim, is not Pesach. It's rather the holiday of Shavuot. We count the Omer, come to Shavuot, and that's the festival the Torah calls Yom Bikurim. So the choice of Arami Ovei Davi is to say it, uh, I can't overestimate the question, it's very strange. And because it's so strange, we have to try to figure out what is it about this particular text that made it the choice of the Mishnah and made it the central text of the, uh, of the Seder. So Aramio Vedovi uh, has many features to it, which I think are very important and very central to the Seder. Aramea Vedavi, four verses we are reciting and expounding at the Seder, and the Haggadah itself, whoever put the Haggadah together, nobody has a clue, but the Haggadah has chosen Midrashim for us. The Haggadah, it's not that we should not engage in questions. The obligation of the Seder is to ask questions, our own questions. But the Haggadah provides us with Midrash helps us out, sets us on a path. And there are four verses. The first is Aramil Vedavi, Vayered Mitzrayma, Vayagosham Timetema'at, Vayisham Lugoi Gadol Atsum Barav. My ancestor, my father, was a wandering Aramean, went down to Egypt, few in number, became there a great and mighty nation. And the Haggadah provides Midrashim on each of the pieces of that verse. He gives a Midrashic interpretation of the first three words, Arami Ovei It takes not to mean my father was a wandering Aramean, but rather the Aramean, and that refers to Lavan, 
That's Jacob's uncle, father-in-law, the one that Jacob stayed with for 20 years, and Jacob had a very difficult time there. Ove Davi would have caused my father to perish, or wished to cause my father to perish. Refers to the experience of Yaakov in the house of Ravan, Vayered Mitzrayma, and Jacob went down to Egypt. That's how the verse begins according to the Midrashic understanding. And then in the next verse, it describes what happened to Jacob and Jacob's family and Israel in Egypt. The one reciting says, the Egyptians harmed us. They afflicted us. And they placed upon us difficult labor. So basically, the Arami of Edavi begins with a history. And what it's saying to us at the Seder, we sit around the Seder table, and we, um, we say we have a common history. We have a common past. This common past involved, begins with our ancestors. Our ancestor, our father, whether it's Yaakov, whether it's Abraham, whether it's both, we have a common past. And what we recall this night is that when we descended into Mitzrayim, we recall the suffering, the hardships of the land, the land of Egypt. The beginnings of Jewish history, it begins with hardship, with difficulty, with suffering, and we have a common history. So what we're doing at the Seder, among other things, is we are celebrating becoming a people. But through the actions that we perform at the Seder, we're acting out what it means to be a people. And one aspect of being a people means to share a common past. We have a common history. Not only that, the verses that we recite, we speak about redemption. The fourth verse, for Hashem Mitzrayim, it speaks about a, the Exodus, but the next verse talks about coming into the land. Now, we don't say that verse at the Seder. We only say four verses. But we are aspiring to the future. We hope for a common future. The Seder is about, it happened once. We were redeemed once. And if, well, if we were redeemed once, we could be redeemed again. The cup of Eliyahu that is uh, placed on the table, it's not drunk. That represents for us a hope, an aspiration. Perhaps if we have time, we'll come back to this idea. So a people, a community, is one, not that people are identical, quite the opposite. We're all different. The God is as much about difference as it is about commonality. There are many kinds of children, we say at the Seder. There are many different kinds of people. They have different questions. We bring different people together under one roof. But the point is that it's about understanding what we do have in common. We have a common past. We have hopes for the future. It's part of being community. And actually, it's very interesting. When you look at the text of Arabi Ovei Davi, so the first verse is, my father was a wandering Aramean, or Laban the Aramean would have destroyed my father went down to Egypt, few in number, and became a nation. But the next verse is, The Egyptians harmed us, did evil to us, placed upon us difficult labor, afflicted us. And suddenly the speaker switches from my father, the other, to the Egyptians harmed us. They afflicted us. And suddenly, there's a full identification with the past. That that past is not something that is distant from me, that is irrelevant to me. But the distant past is actually with me. I see myself as part of what happened. What happened to them happens to me. However, one understands that. 
It can mean that it has relevance. It can mean that I actually see myself there, that we pretend to be there. Pretend, I mean, we actually are there. We see ourselves as there. You know, the person who is reciting this, this, this prayer, this recitation, however you wish to define it, is actually speaking, is actually telling a story. And the storyteller, the good storyteller, the good actor, is not one who simply acts the part, but the good actor is one who sees herself, himself, in that part. I've often said Marlon Brando doesn't act the Godfather. Marlon Brando is the Godfather. The reciter is there. The reciter sees oneself as being there. And the identification happens at the moment we speak of hardship. They harmed us. And we cried out to God in verse number three. We cried out. And God took us out of Egypt. And that's what the Haggadah says at the end of the Magid section, before we eat. We have a section which says, in every generation, one must see oneself as if personally leaving Egypt. It's not something that just happened in the past. It's something we are experiencing. And that's deeply connected to the choice of Arami Ove Davi. Arami Ove Davi, the pilgrim's prayer, the pilgrim sees the pilgrim as there. We were harmed, we cried out, we, we, were, we were redeemed, we were taken out of Mitzrayim. So that's another interesting feature of Arami Ove Davi. So it's about community which is sharing a past and our hopes for the future. And it's about being connected to that past in the deepest way, seeing ourselves on this night as actually being there. And that's another uh, aspect of our Ami Ovei But the Mishnah says more than we are to recite our Ami Ovei The Mishnah says we are to recite the portion. The Mishnah actually says you recite the entire portion. We don't do that. We disobey the Mishnah. We only recite the first four verses. We end with leaving Egypt. We don't talk about coming into the land. On the night of Pesach at the Seder, the focus is on leaving Mitzrayim. That's the focus. The core text, stop at the Exodus. Don't go beyond. There are other pieces of the Haggadah which speak beyond the Exodus. The most well-known probably is Dayenu. Dayenu ends, ends with, the, with the building of the, of the temple. That's an exception to the rule, and that's not one of the core texts. But the core texts, Arami Ovedavi, the covenantal promise to Avraham, which in the Torah speaks of coming back to the land. But in the Haggadah, it ends with the phrase, Achrechen Yetzu Brichushka Do, they will leave Egypt with possessions. So we stop. We stop at the Exodus, because we're seeing ourselves leaving Egypt. We don't know what's going to be in the future. We, we, we say to ourselves, we put ourselves in the other person's place. Those that were leaving Mitzrayim, going off into a desert, into a wilderness. Where do you have food? Where do you have water? Who knows? We see ourselves in that moment. And we can appreciate the moment and the difficulties of the moment and the choice to leave. And actually it wasn't even a choice, it was thrown out of Egypt. But the fact that we did leave, that's very uh, inspiring and very difficult. We put ourselves in that place. In any event, the choice of the parasha, the Mishnah says, choose this, read this portion. The Doresh Kola Parsha Kula and engage in Midrash. It's the only time we have actually an obligation in our tradition to engage in Midrash. It means to ask a lot of questions, to go back to the text, and to see if we can find answers within the text. What is that all about? That the night of Passover is a night of Midrash. Optimally speaking, 
and I know that every Seder does this, but optimally speaking, it's asking questions, it's raising problems, difficulties of all types, and it's trying to find a solution by talking to the other, by hearing what the other person has to say. But above all that is by going back to the text. What the Midrash claims, powerful claim, that within the text we can find answers to our questions. The text is ancient. The questions are our questions. And the, what the Midrash is doing then is to pry, try to bridge the gap between the here and now, where we are today, and the ancient text. The Midrash claims that the ancient text continues to speak and we have to mine that text for answers to our questions. Each of us has different questions and we can discuss those questions with the other and we can hope that the other will give us some insight. So the Midrash actually is a perfect vehicle for Passover night because the challenge of Passover night is how we see ourselves within the story. Can we find ourselves in this story? Which is a central question on the night of Passover and a central question for, for religion, generally speaking, probably all religions. How do ancient texts and ancient traditions continue to speak to us? That's a central question. And the truth of the matter is that that question, how the ancient traditions and texts continue to speak is the question that is raised implicitly by two of the four children of which the Haggadah speaks. It's raised by the wise child, the Chacham. The Haggadah ascribes different texts of the Torah to different children, different kinds of people. The Torah doesn't say that, but the Haggadah ascribes verses to them. So the verse in Deuteronomy, in Dvarim, earlier in Sefer Dvarim, Mo'edot v'achukim v'amishpatim, what are these laws, statutes, ordinances that God commanded you, which is asked by the wise child? So, so the question is, I want to understand all these rules, all these laws and regulations. I presume they have a meaning. The assumption of the wise child is there is a meaning here, but I don't know what the meaning is. Perhaps you'll explain to me the significance of all of these traditions. Now, God takes that verse, which is not about Passover at all. It's about everything. But its focus is Pesach, as if to say, if you understand the Seder, the key components of the Seder, you'll understand Judaism. You'll understand our, our religion, our way. So it puts the Seder as the central ritual that we have. And that's the question of the wise child. The so-called wicked child, the Russia, the insolent child, says something different. What is this service, this avoda for you? So that's a pasuk in the book of Shemot. In the book of Shemot, it's a very logical question. It's a very good question, actually. It would appear in the book of Shemot in chapter 12 that the question of the child is, why are you putting blood on the doorposts and the lintel? What is this about? It would appear from the book of Exodus chapter 12 that this tradition of putting blood on the doorpost continues even after you leave Mitzrayim. The book of Dvarim says not so. But it would appear in the simple reading of chapter 12 of Shemot that it is so. And that's the question the child asks. It's not an insular child. It's a very wonderful question. What is this about? Blood on the doorpost. Dagoda takes it in a different direction and sees it not actually as a question but as a rhetorical question. Why do you bother with this for? What, what is this all about, this avoda? What is this service, or perhaps this burden all about? What are you wasting your time for? What's the relevance of all this? So we don't like the attitude of that child, but it doesn't mean that it's a bad question. It's actually a very central question. Why is what happened 3,000 years ago relevant to me today? That's the question that both children are asking. And it's a question we ask, I think, not only on the night of the Seder. Many ask the question often. 
How does this continue to speak? What is the meaning? What is the significance? The Haggadah actually attempts to answer that question. And it attempts to answer that question in two different ways. One way can be found in the Haggadah in the section just before Arami Ovedavi. Just before we say Arami Ovedavi at the Seder, there's a little uh, paragraph, often it is sung, and it begins, This, referring to what comes before, has stood for our ancestors and for us. Not just once did someone try to destroy us. Every generation, often, there were adversaries that we had who wished to destroy us. But God delivered us from them. What is the he? But what has stood for us in every generation? So in the previous section, it talks about God's covenantal promise to Abraham. Covenant of the pieces, Brit and Habitarim. Baruch Shomer Yisrael Blessed is the God who kept God's promise. And what is described, what is mentioned, quotation from the Torah, is the covenantal promise God made to Abraham, that some that the covenant was that you will have a child, an heir. Chapter 15 of Breshit, Genesis 15, you'll have an heir, and you will possess the sacred land, this holy space. And Abraham asked God, how do I know? Or more, or more precisely, what must happen that it will take place? What is our part of the covenant? The covenant is a two-sided commitment. What is the commitment we make to get this gift of God's special place, a place where God resides, the fulfillment of all creation? What is the price? What is the cost? What is the commitment? And God's answer is there is the threefold commitment. Know very well. Your descendants will be strangers in a land that, which is not theirs. Geirut. Vavadum. They'll be enslaved. They'll be inflicted for many years, 400 years. The nation which enslaves them, I will punish, I will judge. They will leave, leave with possessions. That's the citation that we have from God's promise to Abraham. Of course, that's not the end of the promise. The end goal is not the possessions. The end goal is returning to the land that we don't mention. What we do mention is the covenant. And that's the Hisham de Labotenu. This covenant has stood us for all time. We are living in a covenantal relationship. It's a long-term, deep relationship. And like many long-term, deep relationships, it has its ups and its downs. This is very difficult moments, in moments of great exhilaration and joy. This is the this is the venue in which we live. This is the relationship in which we function. And that's one answer. That's, I think, the deep answer of the Seder. That what the Seder is actually about is the covenant. And that the experience in, in Mitzrayim, which the Torah describes in the first two chapters of the book of Exodus, it describes beyond that as well. But in the first two chapters of the book of Exodus, it describes being in Mitzrayim in covenantal language. Inui and Avdut, affliction and slavery in chapter one. And Gerut, being a stranger. It's what Moshe said when he leaves Mitzrayim. He names his son Gershom, for he said, I was a stranger in a strange land, in a foreign land referring back to Egypt. So we have Abdut and Inui and Geirut. It means the experience in Mitzrayim, says the Haggadah, is a covenantal one. It's not about history so much. Haggadah doesn't care that much about history. It's saying something else. The reason that we recall the Exodus from Egypt as the central event of our tradition, 
is because that's the covenantal event. The covenant was clinched for the people through the experience in Mitzrayim, through the suffering in Mitzrayim. That was our part of the bargain. And God's part was to take us out of the land of Egypt and to bring us to a promised land. That was God's commitment. We have to first fulfill our commitment, which we did in the land of Mitzrayim. So that's one answer. And the second answer that the Haggadah gives, and maybe there are others, but the second obvious answer in the Haggadah is that the experience in Egypt is not a one-time event. It's not about history, which has no relevance to the moment, but quite the opposite. The experience in Mitzrayim can take place in every generation. The Geirut and the Avdut and the Inui, the affliction, the enslavement, the marginalization, the being the other. That's the story of Jewish history. It's not the only story, but it's part of our story. And the Haggadah then moves into Tzayulamad, go and learn, go forth and learn. That's the name of the Haggadah that I wrote together with Rachel first several years ago. We called it Seyu Ramad, go forth and study, go forth and learn. Because part of the Seder is about learning, is about studying. It's about asking a lot of questions and hopefully coming up with some potential solutions to some of our problems. Seyu Ramad says the Haggadah, it's the way Arami Obeyavi begins, Go and see what Love and the Aramean tried to do to our father Jacob. And what's interesting about that, and I can't get into the details of it now, but if you study the story of Jacob in the house of Lavan, chapter 29, 30, and 31 of Breshit, you see that the, when Jacob runs away from Lavan, and Jacob speaks to Lavan and gets angry after 20 years, finally. And he says to Lavan, he describes, he recounts his experience in the house of Lavan. Towards the end of chapter 31, he describes it with two key words, Avdut and Inui. It was slavery, it was oppression, which of course are two of the three covenantal terms that we have in the Torah. Third being Geirut, being a stranger. And after Jacob leaves Lavan's presence and on the way home, he's about to return to the land. He's about to confront his brother Esau. That's why Yaakov ran away in the first place. And he sends messengers. When you see my brother Esau, tell him, in Lavan Garti, I was a stranger. I was a stranger in the house of Lavan, in Lavan Garti which is the third covenantal term. In other words, says the Haggadah, go and study the story of Jacob in the house of Lavan, because Jacob in the house of Lavan teaches me something which is very important. There was an exodus from Egypt before we were ever in Egypt. There was an exodus from Egypt, conceptual exodus from the house of Lavan, because Jacob described his experience as Gerut and Abdut and Inuit. So it can happen again. It even happened before the Exodus. And secondly, it's a focusing in on the key ingredients of the Exodus, which is the covenantal peace. The Haggadah understands the events of the Exodus from Egypt as a fulfillment of a prior commitment. If you ask me, what is the core idea of the Seder? This is it. It's about covenant. It's about living within a covenant and that we are recalling and celebrating the fact that we enter into a covenant. Now, entering into the covenant is not a simple matter because when you enter into a covenant, you take upon yourselves all kinds of commitments. You're not a stranger. You are deeply connected and the deepest connections are to zoom the deepest commitments. And if you violate the commitments to one who is so close, that's very different than 
not fulfilling promises to someone who is less connected. We should always fulfill our commitments, but there's no sense of betrayal unless the connection is very deep. So that's part of it. We enter into that relationship understanding the implications, the commitments, the idea of mitzvot, the idea of being commanded, of commandedness, of obligation, is central to the Torah, I would say central to the Jewish tradition. And the night of Pesach has that as well. Because in the Seder, later on in Magid, after Arameo Vedavi, we say, we cite from the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Rabbi Gamliel said, whoever doesn't say these three things has not fulfilled the obligation. Which is probably the obligation to tell the story. It's not just a story. You have to mention Pesach, Matzah, Umara. You have to mention the Paschal sacrifice. You have to mention eating Matzah. You have to mention eating the bitter herbs. Because being a free person involves commitments. We took upon ourselves commitments when we left Egypt, when a few months later we stood at Sinai, we accepted obligations. We took upon ourselves those commitments. So part of being free is understanding that it comes with obligation. Freedom comes with obligation. And that's what the Seder is saying. It's about covenant. But this particular covenant comes with all kinds of obligations, all kinds of commitments. On the night of Passover, it's represented by the sacrifice, the Paschal sacrifice, the Korban Pesach, Pesach, Matzah, Umara. So that's also part of why we are uh, starting with and the very idea of engaging together, the idea of studying together, of asking questions, of midrash, and the learning at the Seder is intergenerational, begins with the Madhishtana, which is typically the question asked by a youngster, by a young child. We speak of the great rabbis who were together, studying in Rabbi Akiva's hometown of Bnei Brak, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Tarifa, Eliza Ben Azaria. They were up all night, so engrossed in their study, they didn't realize that the sun had risen. It was time to say the Shema. That's a different, that's peer learning. There's all kinds of learning at the Seder, but the idea is that part of being a Jewish community, a Jewish community is a community that studies Torah together that sits together, that exchanges ideas, that hears what the other has to say. That's what the Seder is about, optimally. So it's not just community because you have a common past and a hoped for future. It's a community that has rituals. All communities have rituals. Everyone has rituals, different kinds of rituals. Some have more, some have less. The Jewish tradition has a lot of rituals. It's about ritual, it's about Pesach, Matzah, Umara, it's about eating that Matzah. But above all, at the Seder, it is about studying together. And that, I think, is what the Haggadah is saying in the beginning of the Haggadah, which the Haggadah describes what is the Haggadah. What is this little book we have called Haggadah, the most popular, the most printed Jewish book by far of any other book we have? What is this about? So the Haggadah says in the beginning of Magid, that no matter how much we know, how wise we may be, we have a commandment on the night of Passover, is to tell a story. Rabbi Salvechik said, he thought that Lusapir B involves more than just telling the story, but to be fully engaged in the story, studying the story, deep engagement. The rabbis up that night in B'nai Brak, the five of them, they uh, didn't even realize that the night was over. They were so engrossed. It's not about just the amount of time you spend, it's the 
quality of time. So this is the Sapit. So the Haggadah is the vehicle for fulfilling the mitzvah of Sipur Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim and Sipur to tell a story that requires the other. To remember the Exodus, which is a separate mitzvah, which the Haggadah references. The Haggadah in the beginning of the Haggadah, the beginning of Magid, cites the Mishnah. Om Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Elazar ben Azariah said, I'm like a person of 70, and I could never convince my colleagues that you have to remember the Exodus twice a day. The Chachamim thought you have to remember the Exodus every day of the year one time. And Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was of the opinion that you have to remember the Exodus every single day twice. I could never convince them until Ben Zoma had a drasha. He had a drasha. And the drasha was a very convincing drasha. It's not clear that it convinced the rabbis, but it's clear that it convinced Elizabeth ben Azariah that it's a good drasha. Sounds like he was able to convince some people because of the drasha. Now that's a mitzvah to remember the Exodus every single day of the year, either once or twice. That's nothing to do with directly with Passover, with Pesach. The mitzvah of Pesach is not to remember the story. Point to Ben Zoma, every night you remember the story. Point to Elizabeth ben Azariah, every night you remember the story. But to tell the story, to be fully engaged, question and answer, study, midrash, that's different. That's only the night of Passover. That's Sipur. So therefore, Sipur requires the other. Optimally, at a say there's more than one person, because you want to tell your, you want to study with somebody. That's Sipur Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim. This year, the plague that affects the world and us will make it difficult for some people to engage in Sipur. The Gemara says, if no one else is there, you ask yourselves the question. Everything starts with the right questions. The goal is to get some good answers, but you start with the questions. But optimally speaking, the mitzvah is Sipur Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim. It's for this reason, in my opinion, that before we start Magid, before we say Manishtana, we invite others to join us. We invite others to join us, to partake of the meal with us. It's interesting that we invite people after we made Kiddush, which is very strange, because the Seder begins with Kiddush. The first cup is a cup of Kiddush, first of the four cups. But the invitation is not that much for the meal, in my opinion, as it is for the Magid, as it is for the study. Come and join us. Of course, you stay for the meal. But what it's really about is an examination of who we are today and where we hope to be in the future. We always hope for a better world. We hope for redemption. If it happened once, it can happen again. So that's the midst of Sipur. You create community. We are creating community when we join together and exchange ideas. In my own experience as a teacher, studying a common text brings people together. I'm not saying that's the goal. That's what happens. It's an added benefit. It brings people together. The Torah is studied honestly, openly, and with rigor brings people together. And what's interesting is we actually have another curious custom at the Seder. And the custom is that after we finish the meal and we say we say our blessings after the meal over a cup of wine because the mitzvot of the night are all done over cups of wine. Kiddush, telling the story, the meal, and after we finish the meal and we drink the cup of wine, we open up the door. 
Now, opening up the door is an ancient custom. Actually, it's well over a thousand years old. And like many customs, it's hard to know where it's coming from. We speculate a lot about customs, trying to figure them out after the fact. So there is a custom to open the door. And there's a custom also to greet Eliyahu Hanavi. Elijah the prophet is greeted. We call the cup that we leave on the table the fifth cup, the cup of Eliyahu. But in truth, the idea of Eliyahu and the cup of Eliyahu is attested rather late. It doesn't mean it's not earlier, but it's attested very late. Late medieval times is the earliest attestation to Elijah's cup. But opening the door, that's already in Gaonic times. That's hundreds of years earlier. Which would suggest to us that opening the door is not in its uh, initial, uh, the initial idea of it is not related to Elijah the prophet at all, but it's something different. So I have suggested that opening the door is something else. We open the door before we complete the Hallel service. At the Seder, we start reciting Hallel, standard Hallel, normal Hallel has six Psalms. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 inclusive. It ends with Psalm 118. And in Psalm 118, we are reciting the Hallel. Psalm 118 speaks of somebody who is in deep trouble or has been in deep trouble or is in deep trouble and imagines God's redemption. I called you God from the straits, from the narrow places, which plays off Mitzrayim. Answer me with enlargement. Give me opportunities. Give me choices. Which after all is what we celebrate at the Seder. We celebrate the gift of freedom. In fact, we are not constrained. We celebrate the ability to choose, even though we realize some of the choices we make in life are poor choices, but they're our choices. So in Psalm 118, it's personalized. The Exodus becomes a personal story. I cry to you from the narrow spaces, answer me with enlargement, and the psalm then proceeds and tells its story, which I can't get into now, which is very interesting. And the psalmist, the one in the psalm, sets out to find other people. The psalmist hears, Korina Vishua Biole Tzadikim, a cry of shouting, a cry of joy in the tents of the righteous. And the one in the psalm sets out to find those places. And there's an explanation as to why this one sets out to find those places. The explanation is in the verse that a few verses later, I will not die. I live. I survive. And I will relate the actions of God. So the setting out to find that special place where others have gathered to tell their stories, where they crying, cries of triumph and joy. The psalmist sets out to find those places because the psalmist also has a story to tell. How the psalmist was delivered from the narrow spaces. That's the idea of Hallel. Hallel isn't just a private thanksgiving. We can thank privately. But there's still a difference between thanking privately and thanking publicly, of telling my story to the other. Maybe I inspire them. There's a sense of gratitude. I want to be grateful. I want to share. So in my opinion, that's why we open the door before we complete Hallel, that section of Hallel. I want the whole world to hear my story. I want the whole world to hear about my exodus, my Yitziat Mitzrayim. My So the night of the Seder is about sharing with others. And it takes two forms. The first half of the Seder, the Magid, that study. I'm looking for a Chavruta. 
I'm looking for a group of people. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to raise my questions and, and hear their questions. And the second half, which was all about Thanksgiving, Hallel, praise and thanks, which is central to the Seder. The night of Pesach is a night of gratitude. Gratitude for freedom, an opportunity to choose. So I want to share that with others. Sapir. That's part of being a community. Part of being a community is to be able to reach out to the other to hear what they say. So what we are doing at the Seder, actually, we talk about in every generation, seeing ourselves as personally leaving Egypt. But the leaving of Egypt, as the significance of that moment, is the creation of a people. It's not just a family. It's a nation. It's a people. And it's very interesting, actually, that the central event, the prerequisite to leaving Mitzrayim, you can't leave Egypt until, until you bring the Paschal sacrifice, the carbon Pesach. The carbon Pesach, the elements of the carbon Pesach, Paschal sacrifice is brought by members of the family. The Torah calls the family a bayit in chapter 12 of Shemot. Exodus chapter 12, Selah Beit Avot, Selah The bayit, the house, is the term used to describe the family. The bayit, the house, the physical house, is also the place where the sacrifice is, is brought because the blood is thrown on the doorpost and the lintel. So the house becomes the altar. The bayit is the family, those bringing the sacrifice. The bayit becomes the altar itself. And then the Torah says, Nobody should leave the house until the morning. The house becomes the place where the sacrifice is brought. Not just the altar, but the space, the space of the house in which we may not leave. We must stay inside the space. It becomes a sacred space. It becomes a space cordoned off, as it were, from what's going on outside in the sense that it's a sacred space, it's demarcated as such, and we wait there in anticipation of being redeemed. And the point of it is that until we created some kind of community in the land of Egypt, there's no point to leave. It's all about community. And the fact of the matter is, if we think about it more deeply, we realize that actually the carbon Pesach as novel as it is, is not actually a novelty at all. If you remember the story of the Exodus, you remember that Moshe has one request of Pharaoh. He makes this request several times. He goes to Pharaoh and says, we want to serve our God together. Let the people go off into the desert and we want to bring sacrifices to our God. And Pharaoh, of course, says, no, because they work for me. Moshe had said that God had told Moshe, Shalach ami v'avduni, send my people that they should serve me. V'avduni, avodah. And Pharaoh's answer is, in effect, they're serving me. Tichbada avodah, on the contrary, make the avodah even more difficult. They're not God's servants, they're my servants. That's the fight. Whose servants are we? So Pharaoh doesn't want to let the people go. And eventually, actually at one point he says to Moshe, you can go, but don't go away too far. Moshe agrees. Because Moshe's goal was not to run away at that point. Moshe had a different goal. Moshe's goal was to create solidarity and community and peoplehood and nationhood and a sense of attachment and people that all have common values. They serve a common God. And if you can establish that, that at some point you'll be able to walk out. But if you don't establish that, you have a bunch of individual people. You can't build a nation. Everybody's only about themselves. You need to create a sense of community prior to the Exodus. And that's Moshe's goal. And that's the carbon Pesach.
the carbon Pesach, the Paschal sacrifice, is brought in the land of Egypt. It was impossible before that to bring it in the land of Egypt. Moshe said, how could we bring the sacrifice in the land of Egypt? The Egyptians will kill us if we try that. It would be an abomination for the Egyptians to bring this sacrifice in Mitzrayim. That was in the beginning of the story. But by the time the 10th plague rolls around, the Torah says that Moshe and the people are very popular. The people in Moses were, were esteemed in the land of Egypt. Maybe they were also frightened of what has happened to the Egyptian people over the course of nine plagues. What was formerly impossible, namely to bring that sacrifice in Egypt, by the time the 10th plague is about to occur, it becomes possible. But my point is that the carbon Pesach is what Moshe had requested all along. The idea of the carbon Pesach is the idea of the bayit, is the idea of community, the creation of community as a prerequisite to leaving. You can't leave if you're just a bunch of individuals. You have to create the bayit, you create the community. And at the Seder, that is what we are doing. At the Seder, through the ritual of the Seder, we are creating community both in terms of the text of Arami or Vedavi, which speaks of the past and hints at the future, and especially through the study, through the study of the Midrash, the study of this portion. And the portion that we've chosen to study, the Pilgrim's recitation, which speaks of the Pilgrim identifying with the past, that is central to the Seder. Now there's something else interesting about Arami or Vedavi, and perhaps the reason that, uh, perhaps the reason that it was chosen, one of the many reasons, there are many, we've hinted already several reasons why it was chosen. In my Haggadah, I talk more at length about each of these reasons, deal more with different texts. But there's something else about Arami or Vedar V, and there's something else about the Seder and the power of the Seder. And that is Arami or Vedar V is a recitation. It is a ritualized recitation. So what you have at the Seder is on one hand, you have uh, you have the obligation to Doresh Kula Parsha Kula tonight of study. But on the other hand, the Arameo Vedavi portion is not just study, but it's also a recitation. It's a ritual reciting. In fact, I grew up in my parents' home. They would chant the Haggadah. There was a chant to it. And it's ritualized. And perhaps that's another reason why it was chosen. We are together performing a ritual. The power of the Seder is, it's a ritual. And rituals can be very, very powerful. It's interesting that the, uh, the uh, Arami of the, of, the, of the section, so the, um, The Aramiovi section is a, in the Torah, it's found in chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. So what happened, what did we read before chapter 26 of Deuteronomy? Before chapter 26 of Deuteronomy, we have the end of chapter 25. And the last verses of chapter 25, Remember what Amalek did to you on the path, on the road when you left Egypt. Being on the road, being on the derech, it's dangerous. You're in a transitional moment. It's a moment of vulnerability. Remember what they did when you were vulnerable. They encountered you along the way. They attacked those in the rear. When you were weary and tired, that's what Amalek did. 
they seized on your vulnerabilities. They tried to destroy you. And therefore, God says, remember that. And when the time is appropriate, when I have given you respite from all your enemies, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Don't forget. That's the end of chapter 25. Speaks of Amalek. Then we read chapter 26. And the pilgrim comes to the temple with the first fruits. And the recitation is, I want to, I want to declare today, Haggadah. The word Haggadah is used as a preface to the Arami of E section. And I want to say the following. Our father, our ancestor, Arami Ovedovi, Oved, he was about to perish. He was lost. He went down to Egypt. He had no home. He was a stranger. He was weak. He was vulnerable. He was a stranger. And many strangers are vulnerable. And he dwelt there few in number. There he became numerous. The Egyptians harmed us. The Egyptians enslaved us. The Egyptians afflicted us. We cried out to our God. And God heard our cries. So on the night of Pesach, in this ritual, in this ritual recitation of Arami Yovei we're making a very important statement. Who is the God who redeemed us from the land of Egypt? And in this context, the answer seems to be, our God is exactly the opposite of the previous section of the Torah, which is Amalek. Amalek, Amalek is a nation that looks for vulnerabilities, looks for weaknesses, and tries to exploit the weakness of others. We were tired, we were weary, we were on the road, on the path, we had no home, in transition. Not God-fearing, which could refer either to Amalek or to us. We had spiritual weakness, and they seized that opportunity to try to destroy us. But in the next section, it talks about the God before whom we speak. We bring the first fruits to God's temple. And that God is different. That God is one who cares about those that are lost. He cares about those that are almost perishing. This God cares about those that are afflicted, those that have no freedom, those that are being harmed. That's the proclamation we are making at the night of the Seder through the text of Arami Ovedovi. Let me tell you something about our God. And I was thinking that actually at the Seder, there's something very interesting that in the beginning of the Seder, the Haggadah tells us a story about these five rabbis who got together. Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah, Haimasubim b'vnei brak, they were in b'nei brak, and they were studying, telling the story as it was, studying the story all night. Until their pupils came and told them, Rabotenu, Igiazman kriyashma shel shacharit. They told them the night is over, but in a very strange way, it's time for the morning recitation of the Shema. What is the point of that? They could have said, the night is over, sun is risen. They said it's time for the morning recitation of the Shema. Let me conclude with the following thought about the Seder, Rami Ovedavi, and that is, that the Shema, the recitation of the Shema, includes this, the verse, I am the God who took you out of Egypt. It's the last verse of the Shema. Ani Hashem Elokeichem Yetchem Eretz Mitzrayim. The Shema is recited in the morning, and the Shema is recited in the evening. Which is probably the reason that Elizabeth ben Azariah says, there's a mitzvah to mention the Exodus twice a day. Why twice a day? Once a day would be natural. 
But twice a day means it's part of the Shema. The Shema is the acceptance of God's kingship. The acceptance of God's sovereignty. Kabbalat o Malchut Shamayim. That's what the Shema is all about. But there are two ways to accept God's kingship, or two approaches to God. One is to think about God as this being, which is beyond us, the singular God. Hashem Echad, God is singular and different and other. And we accept upon ourselves commitments to that other God, holy other, mysterious and hidden. And there's another aspect of God. I am the God who took you out of Egypt. It's different. That's the God that's involved with our lives. We see God is related to the world. There's an interplay between the human and God is the God of history. On the night of Passover, we are telling the story. They were up the whole night. They were deeply engaged in thinking, in questioning, in studying. Optimally, that's what the Seder is. But then there's the mitzvah every day of the year, which is not to tell the story, but to remember, to make a statement. You don't even need the other to remember it. So what they were saying was, Rabotenu, our teachers, the mitzvah of Sipur is over. Now we have a different mitzvah. Not the mitzvah to study the story, but the mitzvah to recall the story. Arami of Elavi is a statement about God. Who is, who is the God that we serve? The God that we serve is the God that cares about those that are lost, marginalized, and oppressed. That's the statement that we make, and we understand that very well. We were in that same situation. So it shouldn't be so difficult to put ourselves in someone else's place. And there's something else here. And let me conclude with the following observation about the relationship between the mitzvah of Sipur, of studying the story, and the mitzvah to remember. And I will make the point by recalling a different story, maybe one of the key stories of the Torah. When Jacob becomes Israel, when Jacob returns from the house of Lavan, when Jacob returns from the Gerut and the Avdut and the Inui, when he comes home and he wants to cross over, to cross back into the land, to assume his covenantal place, but somebody is blocking him. A man, a mysterious man, man, angel, human being, divine being, wrestles with Jacob until the dawn. On that mysterious night, Jacob becomes Israel. And it's Israel he can cross over. If he remains Jacob, he doesn't cross over. He crosses over through the transformation of Jacob becoming Israel, which is a struggle, in which he is wounded, he limps, he's wounded. But in that struggle, he becomes someone else, someone new, someone additional. He's still Jacob, but he's also Israel. As Israel, he can cross over. And the Torah says, Therefore, the Children of Israel, B'nai Yisrael, it's the first time we have the term B'nai Yisrael to refer to the Jewish people. They don't eat the, the sinew of the thigh bone. We don't eat that. Because Jacob had been wounded in the sinew of the thigh. What is that about? There are great moments in our personal lives, great religious moments. I'll say personally, there aren't so many of them. And the ones that have a great impact upon us are often not what one would expect. They come very often in very simple situations, everyday situations, something happens. You don't want to lose those moments. Jacob's transformation to Israel is, is a great moment, a mysterious moment. The Torah lapses into mythic prose at that point. There's something that can't even be fully grasped. How did this happen? You don't want to lose those moments, says the Torah. Therefore, B'nai Israel don't eat the sinew of the side.
And the same thing is true for the experience in the land of Egypt. That night we became a people. That night we became a nation. Israel is born that night. And we spend a lot of the night, the Seder is about re-experiencing that moment, trying to create our own sense of community on that night. And then the night is over. You don't want to lose that night. So one of the ideas of ritual, of mitzvah, is to keep those moments alive. Rabotenu. Rabotenu. The mitzvah of Sipor has ended. Now we have a different commandment, not to forget. We have a commandment to recall and to remember. That's the mitzvah of Sipor. Rabotenu Ligiazman Kriyashma Shal Shacharit. So I want to say Chag Sameach to everyone, everyone who has joined, and the session is recorded. If others want to hear it, uh, of course, that's great. We're living in a difficult time for all of us. We can't leave our houses, and we don't know when the morning is going to come either. On the night of Pesach, we're told, don't leave your house until the morning, for two reasons. One is the carbon Pesach, but the other is the avenging angel is outside. It's dangerous. Can't go outside. And that's our situation. I'm hoping that obviously this can come to a conclusion sooner rather than later. We don't know when it's going to be. I think it's particularly appropriate at this time of community for all of us to think, I know many of us have been thinking and acting upon this, how we can reach out to those who are most vulnerable, who are secluded, sequestered, and quarantined, and alone. And for some people, probably were never alone before in Pesach. And it's very difficult to be alone. Pesach's all about Sipur. It's all about the other. It's all about joining together. We have to find many ways to join together. I bless all of us. We should find those ways to join together, to reach out to the other. I wish everybody a Chag Sameach.